Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. So we're in a series in Colossians, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. I'm only going to spend, because I messed up and Caleb already basically covered most of my material, I'm only going to look at two verses uh, in Colossians, uh, and so we'll be mostly in Genesis chapter 2. But as you can see, um, I'm titling the teaching tonight, The Meaning of Marriage, The Meaning of Marriage. And the reason, um, I'll share kind of an opening uh, story with you. Um, When I moved from uh, Tennessee to this place, Palm Bay, Melbourne, Florida, I moved 11 years ago, and I was 21 years old, and I um, was on fire for God. God had changed my life, but I also, uh, I was very immature in my faith. Maybe I'm still immature in my faith. I'll know in another 11 years whether or not I am. But I was definitely very immature in my faith at that time. And I was especially, I believe, extra immature when it came to romantic relationships. And there's two ways that you can be immature in romantic relationships. You can be dumb and you can be disobedient. Dumb is just like, it's not sinful, but it, you're just dumb. Like, you're just like, you're not doing things that are wise when it comes to, you know, how you talk or uh, the way that you act. And then disobedient means you're just, you're doing things that are like not obeying God. And I'll tell you, I was both dumb and disobedient when it came to romantic relationships. Man, I was just like, didn't operate with wisdom, and I also was acted in sin in a lot of ways. And one of the biggest things that God did in my life over the first three to four years when I was here was God really did bring a lot of maturing to me. He really uh, taught me what it, would be, what, what it was like to, uh, to be obedient to him in this area of my life. But, but there was kind of another capacity, another part of this, which was that myself, I came uh, from a, a very uh, tumultuous home, at least in my high school and my college life, when it came to my family and when it came to my parents. And so I did not have any good examples in my life of godly marriages. And uh, to be honest, I think a lot of people in this room would probably say the same thing. There are some of you who uh, do have uh, godly parents, and you would look at them and you would say, man, my parents have really shown me what it is like to, to be godly. And if you have that, that's awesome. Maybe there are some of you who would say, okay, my parents are together, but I still would not look at them and say, I hope to be like that someday. I hope my marriage ends like that someday. And then there are many of you that, and I'm looking around and I do know some of your stories where you do come from a home that is just a broken home. And my situation was in high school and in college, my parents were in a very, very just challenging, difficult season in their relationship. I felt like I had to be kind of a mediator and a go-between. It it was just a, a gnarly situation in my home. And then after college, when I was here, they broke up. And so I kind of came from a place where I was like, man, I uh, am very, very afraid of marriage. I'm afraid of even understanding what it is like to engage in this. I kind of looked at it the way a lot of people look at like true crime podcasts, okay? 
Anyone a fan of true crime podcasts? Raise your hand if you're a fan of true crime podcasts. Okay, true crime podcasts. The idea is, man, like, I don't know whether to be horrified or fascinated. And some of us, that's how we view marriage. We're like, I'm very fascinated by the subject. I'm interested. Like, I guarantee you this, that that everyone in here is like, I'm interested to know what Brian's going to say about this. There could be some topics that I come up here and I'm like, guys, tonight we're going to talk about the design of the tabernacle. And like some of you would be like, I'm, I'm fired up about this. Like some of y'all are theologians and you're like, I can't wait. It actually is like heaven. You're like oh, going off. And then some of you are like, I'm out. Like I've already mentally checked. Everybody here is like, I'm interested in what Brian's going to say on marriage. But you're also like worried. You're like, I'm a little, I'm a little horrified. I'm a little scared about the concept. And even as I have personally in uh, my ministry of working with young adults been like, what do you think about marriage? Like a lot of people are like, <sighs> so, so I'm just like that. But I do, I do want to share that. And the, the, the kind of the verse that I'm going to use, and I'm going to use this verse as kind of a little launch pad. I will come back to this verse. But in Colossians 3, just because I, I want to prove to you that we're still in the Colossians series. Uh, in Colossians 3, this is what Paul has to say about marriage. And by the way, um, this can be a confusing verse, so we are going to circle back in a minute. But it says this, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Now, uh, as Caleb did a beautiful job of sharing last week, this is in the context of we have been saved by Christ and we are supposed to put on Christ. We're supposed to live as if Christ is in us. And part of that is in our marriage relationships that that should reflect that. Now, again, this can be a verse that's a little controversial or a little confusing, so we are going to come back to it in a moment. But, but as I was praying and as I was thinking about, okay, like, what are we going to talk about tonight? And I really felt like God put this message on my heart. I want to explain to you part of the reason that I do believe God put this message on my heart. And I believe that um, for us as young adults, and it is vital that we do have a proper understanding of marriage. Now, I want you to understand off the bat, um, Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 7, and the Bible does teach that it is not ungodly to be single. And he actually even says that there are certain advantages to being single. And all the people who got hurt in the past, they're like, amen, I'm gonna be single forever. Yes, praise God. So listen, it's okay, it's okay to be single. And, and uh, sometimes people in the church have done a bad job of almost saying that singles are like second class and that you can't really serve God and you can't really be mature until you're married. That's not true. The Apostle Paul said that the unmarried man and the unwarried woman, they are unburdened and they have a full ability to be devoted to the Lord. And so that's a beautiful thing. But, but I, w- I want you to hear this, okay? It is okay to be single. But here's what I would say. It's not okay to live in fear, okay? It's not okay to set up walls around your heart because you have been hurt in the past and you don't want to be hurt in the future. And and it's not okay to, to live life on the defensive. And so it's not okay. It's okay to be single, but it's not okay to use 1 Corinthians 7 is kind of like your defense card to be like, you know what, I'm not going to let God do anything in my life because I'm afraid of this subject, okay? 
And, and so here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to talk about marriage, and we're really going to try to gain an understanding of what is God's heart for marriage. And, and for, for some of us, God is calling us to a season of singleness right now, and it's a very wise thing. And for some of us, God may call us to a lifetime of singleness. And you can have an incredibly fulfilling life as a single person. Uh, just in case you're wondering, Jesus was single. Just in case you're wondering, the Apostle Paul was single. That makes up a significant portion of our New Testament, okay? So I don't think we can build any case that marriage is better. But, but I do see, as I interact with young adults and as I talk with them, I see a general, almost, again, fear, true crime, horror podcast about this subject, and I don't want us to operate with that. So I want us to operate with a great respect for the calling of singleness, and I want us to operate with a great respect for the calling of marriage. Now, here's a few reasons why we don't want to get married. A few reasons why we don't want to get married. First off, we had a bad experience. Everybody say, I had a bad experience. I had a bad experience. Um, I certainly can say that about myself. As I said, dumb and disobedient. And, and I think probably many of us in this room, uh, we've had a bad experience when it has come to dating, when it has come to relationships. And I know uh, we're using a little bit of levity and we're using a little bit of humor right now. At least I like to think I'm using humor. Maybe you're like, nope, not, not working. But I do want to admit, like, the pain that we go through in relationships, and some of it is self-induced, some of it is not self-induced, and the pain that we go through is a deep pain. Um, I personally can say, like, as a man who is happily married, like, I genuinely am grateful that I'm not in the dating world, okay? Like, I'm not, like, trying to, like, say like I feel bad for anybody who's single, but like I understand that it's, it's, a, it's a painful season. It's a, it's a difficult season. It's a challenging season. And, and so it's easy. I had a bad experience. Number two, the reason is we are jaded. Now the reason that it, we're jaded is because I do believe that many of us have had experiences with our family, experiences with our friends, even marriages that we've observed and we've seen it go poorly. Um, we've seen the, the pain. I think I heard a statistic recently that, that, that a vast majority of our generation has some connection to divorce, some connection to a broken home. And, and when that happens, it, it really is a searing. It's, it's a breaking that happens. And it does affect us. And, and it can certainly make us say, I don't want any part of that, understandably. I think another huge reason is we're not clear on what the Bible really teaches about marriage. Hopefully, we're going to take a step towards solving that tonight. And as a result of that, we aren't sure what a healthy marriage actually looks like. And I pray, I know Katie and I certainly pray that, that in a small way, we can demonstrate what a, what a healthy marriage looks like. Not a perfect marriage, but a healthy marriage. I certainly believe that we have an amazing example here with Stephen and Larissa, who are leading the harbor, with Tommy and Julie, uh, with Amanda and Will, and, and there's great examples at the harbor. But, but it's so easy for us, maybe we just don't feel like we have examples, and so here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the, the first marriage, the first time that God brought a man and woman together. You're in Genesis 2, hopefully. And if you're not, 
Um, you probably aren't going to make it if you haven't made it by now. But I have the verses on the screen. Now, this is a lot. Don't get overwhelmed. I feel like you guys got overwhelmed seeing all that. Lean in. This is really beautiful, okay? We'll stop and talk a little bit. But here goes uh, Genesis 2, verse 4. It says this. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. I think that's such a beautiful opening. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So this is the account of the first two human beings ever, Adam and Eve. And it says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. So, so I want you to get the picture here. This, this is like the beginning of creation. Like there's not even human beings yet. God is forming the earth and he's creating this place for us to live and for us to be a part of. And it says this, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So God handcrafts a human being out of dust. Now, maybe there are some skeptics in this room and you're feeling like this whole story is crazy, this whole story is, is bogus. And, and if, if you feel that way, I totally respect that. I do believe that the Christian account, and this is not um, a, 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 a teaching for this week, maybe we'll cover it in apologetics next week. I do believe that the Christian account of God creating the world is actually uh, the most rational and the most reasonable account that we have of how we all came to be. But that's for another time. It says, God handcrafted this man. And listen, here's what it says. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. Now, I want you to notice something right off the bat. It says this, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here's what I want us to understand. The first thing is that God makes a man. But his first action is he puts them in the middle of this garden. And notice here at the bottom, it says, he made it to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So God's first act is to introduce uh, this man into a joyous and a pleasurable life. And I, I just, I think that's an interesting thing to note. So often I think that, that we have this mindset that God kind of is trying to like take away our fun. We could think that. We could think, okay, there's all this fun in the world and God doesn't want me to have fun. God kind of has these other rules for me that aren't as fun. But God actually is the designer of all pleasure and all joy. Do you ever think about that, that God could have made food taste completely bland? It's just sort of uh, something that we need to get our, our nutrients. But God designed uh, the, the beauty of food. God designed the beauty of creation. God designed the beauty of a sunset. There are all these things that God created, and he said, I, I want you to find pleasure in life, and I want you to experience pleasure in life. That, that, that God is so beautiful, and he's so magnificent, and he's so majestic that his 
creative attributes. He wants us to experience the joy and the beauty of what he's created. I think that's a really cool concept. That, that God is so generous that, yes, he wants us to experience pleasure in him, but he also wants us just to experience the pleasure of what he has created. He creates things specifically so that we as humans can enjoy them. That's just an interesting thought process. So we're going to keep going, though. And, and, and look at verse 15. We're going to skip down to verse 15, and it says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall die. So many things, even in these few verses, that we could talk about. But I do just want to highlight two things. Um, first off, I want you to notice that God, in the perfection of this world that he has created, he gives the man work to do. He gives the man a purpose to do. He says, I have created the raw ingredients of this world. Now what I want you to do is I want you to partner with me to bring about flourishing on the earth. So, so that's really important. That work it is actually not a cursed thing. Work is a good thing. That, that you and I, we were created to work and we were designed by God to bring about flourishing in creation. That God doesn't just kind of create everything exactly as it needs to be, but he actually says, human beings, I want you to participate in me, with me in this. And so for you and for me, there's things that we're passionate about. There's things that we get excited about. Maybe they're quote unquote creative things, or maybe they're things that aren't what we would consider to be creative, but, but that is actually a beautiful thing that you are doing what God designed you to do. When you work and do good on the earth, God designed you to actually participate in that. So notice that. But notice he also, he, he, he creates a boundary for human beings. So he says there's beauty, there's things that you're going to enjoy, but there's also things that aren't for you. I think that's really important when we think about marriage, when we think about relationships, that God says there's this beauty and there's this wonderful thing that I want you to experience, but there's also things that, I, that, that aren't for you to experience. There's also things that you shouldn't uh, try to experience or you shouldn't uh, try to push for. And I think a lot of the pain that we experience in relationships is because we're trying to take something that's not ours. We're trying to experience something that God has not given us to experience. I could elaborate on that, but I think you get the point. And, and, and that sin leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. Look at verse 18. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. A couple things here. First off, I want us to highlight this. Remember earlier I said that it is okay to be single. And I think it's important to say this. It is okay to be single. It is not okay to be alone, okay? God never calls anyone to be alone for an extended period of time. There are times when we get away specifically and only with God, but we need to be in community. I love how Stephen put it up here that, that we need to have people around us that are encouraging us and investing into us. It's not good that man will be alone, but he says specifically, I am going to make a helper fit for him. That word helper 
It literally means a, a strong and a mighty warrior who's going to come alongside and fight a battle with the man. And so once again, I think this is really important when we, when we start this because, spoiler alert, this helper is going to be a woman, okay? In case you're wondering, like, who's the helper going to be? It's, it's going to be a woman. It's going to be Eve. And I don't want anyone to think, because ladies, maybe it's possible, or even guys, maybe it's possible, that when we see that word helper, we think kind of like, like, um, I, like, I, like my son Isaiah, um, sometimes I'll, like I'll, I'll ask him to help. I'm like, hey, um, I got this pile of dirt. Let's go get the broom and sweep it up, right? And it's like, here's the deal. He's not helping. Um, he's making it worse. Like, um, we literally had a pile of dirt, and, like, I had, like, gotten one dustpan, and I was like, can you carry the dustpan with the dirt to the trash can? And it's like, none of the dust may even made it to the trash. I had to sweep it again. That, so, like, it's like, we can think, like, a little helper, you know what I mean? Like, like, Adam's doing the really big, important work, big, strong Adam, and he needs a little helper. That's not what it is. God is saying that man, males, or specifically man, does not have the ability to complete everything that God is going to call him to complete on his own. He, he, there, there needs to be someone else. This is an incomplete project right now. We, we need someone else to complete this. And so God is going to create woman. Now, this next part is kind of weird and very funny. Verse 19, it says, Out of the ground, God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. Once again, we see God wants humans to participate in this. God wasn't like, you have to call this one a giraffe. No, he's like, you, you pick what you want to call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Now, if it stopped right there, it wouldn't be funny. But it's really funny, this next part, it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So literally, like, it's like God's like, hey, part of your job right now is, like, you know, name all the animals. And another part's like, see if you feel like there's a helper here, you know? Anyone that could help you. It's like, not the toucan, not the giraffe. There, we're, we're missing. I don't know. I just think that's really weird and really funny. Like, th thank you for that obvious statement, Genesis. Verse 21, it says this. So the Lord God called caused a deep sleep, and this is where we're really going to see the first marriage. God is going to create the first marriage union, and we're going to talk about a couple things here. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the Lord God said, and by the way, in the Hebrew, this is a poem. This is a song. When he sees this woman, he rejoices and he says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, and this is, by the way, the end of the poem, and this is God's commentary. And this is actually some, this definition of marriage. This is God's definition of marriage that is repeated 
over and over again in the Bible. So if you're wondering, like, what is the biblical definition of marriage? When God actually says, what is marriage? This is God's definition of marriage. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is what's quoted. This is what God thinks about when he thinks about marriage. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there is this idea of being fully known and fully loved. Okay, so let's talk about God's design for marriage. And I'm gonna extract about five practical applications from that passage that we just went. First off, we see that there is union with one another. There is union with one another. When a man and when a woman stand at a marriage altar, and when they are, in fact, um, married, when the pastor says, I now pronounce you man and wife, when they literally join together in that act of sexual intimacy, what we actually see is the two becoming one flesh. And, and I need us to realize this, that uh, as God sees it, yes, there are, in fact, still two distinct human beings. But as God sees it, that there is a joining and a union together that happens. That, that when a pastor says, I now pronounce you man and wife, that's not just like a um, sort of like, nice thing to say. It's not like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, like, like from a spiritual perspective, um, C- Caleb is here. I got the pleasure uh, of marrying Caleb and Sarah uh, earlier last month. And, and so when everybody walked in and when uh, Sarah uh, walked down the aisle and when they, they were holding hands, um, when, when I, before I said the words, I now pronounce you husband and wife, um, and then after I said the words, I now pronounce you husband and wife, they actually looked the same. Like I saw them, they did a first look uh, before the marriage, and they looked exactly the same before as they did afterwards. So to, to the human eye, nothing looked different. But to God's eye, he saw that, that there was a union. God actually brought them together in a profound and, and a powerful way. That's why divorce is so devastating, is because it's, it's tearing something that God has joined I also want you to notice that there is equality with one another. That, um, that, that when uh, the, the man and the wife, they, they are joined, there is this image and there is this picture that they are equal with each other. Um, that there is the animal kingdom. And remember, we kind of poked a little fun that, oh, God, that there wasn't a helper fit for him. And so there's this idea that, that there are people, there are the animals in the created world that's, that's not equal with us. But, but God actually took from Adam's side a, a rib and he formed Eve. And it's been said before that God did not take um, something out of Adam's head in order that uh, the woman would be over the man. And he did not take something out of Adam's foot that the woman would be under the man. But he took it out of her si- her, his side so that they would walk together in life, that there's an equality. I also want you to notice that there is a creation of something new and distinct. This is very important. God says, therefore the man shall leave the father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So when marriage happens, there is a leaving, there is a departing. That the primary relationship in your life is no longer as the son or the daughter of your mother and your father but the primary relationship in your wife is now with your spouse. 
And, and this is very important, that, that your allegiance is no longer to that former family, but your allegiance is now primarily to your spouse that you are married to. That is the important thing. And, and that's actually a really interesting um, because at that time, like nowadays, I think like for the most part, when people leave, they move out, they get a new apartment, they, um, they you know, move to a new area, they, they move to a new house. Not saying that happens all the time, but, but often it does. At that time, pretty much everyone still lived like together. Like they would you know, build like a room onto the house or whatever because they lived in communities. And so it's very interesting that even during that very communal time, God specifically highlights and says, there's a leaving and there's a creating of something new. I want to also notice that it says fully known and fully loved. It says the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. Naked, that represents that they were fully known, that there is a, there is a knowledge uh, uh, that, that is greater than any other knowledge. I know Katie's heart. I know Katie's mind. I know uh, what goes on in Katie's soul more than any other human being. And the same thing her with I. She knows my strengths. She knows my weaknesses. She knows uh, my tendencies. She knows what, what is good about me and what's, what's not good about me. But there is also a fully loving. Ashamed means that, or felt no shame means that it's fully loved. In other words, this person has, has decided to partner with you and to love you and to serve you. Uh, despite your weaknesses, despite what goes on, when you say the marriage vows of, of for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, what, what you're saying is, I am making a promise to you that I'm committed to you no matter what. And that's the foundation of our re relationship. And then we've already talked about this a lot, that, that God actually calls us to partner together to bring about flourishing in the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, I think it's really fascinating that, well, first off, I just want to highlight this for a second. I want to really understand God's design for this. Um, if you guys know that I really like coffee, very passionate about it, and if, if you were to have a conversation with me and you were like, I don't like coffee, I think it's disgusting. Um, first off, I, I, I would judge you, I'm going to be honest. But secondly, if I were to ask you and be like, well, what, what kind of coffee have you had? And you're like, well, I really like, and the only kind of coffee I've ever had is Maxwell House instant coffee. And I was like, well, how do you make it? And you're like, well, I just kind of like, I don't really measure it. I just kind of eyeball it. I just kind of pour it in. By the way, if you're eyeballing coffee, like, please stop. Like, seriously. At the least, you need to be measuring with a tablespoon. I think that you should have a kitchen scale. Like, I really do. I don't know why anybody does. Like, if you want to take coffee seriously, this is not my notes. Get a kitchen scale. Less than $20 on Amazon. It's, it, it, you're getting a perfect ratio right every time. Don't put the risk of trying to get your beans or your stuff in a tablespoon. Volume. It's, it's sorry. Anyways. <laughs> What I would tell you, though, is you're like, I just eyeball the coffee. It's instant. I just kind of pour it in there, stir it around. I would say, like, you actually don't have the ability to evaluate whether you like coffee or not because you haven't had good coffee. Like, let me make you a pour over with a proper ratio on my kitchen scale. Like, let me make you an espresso. And if you do these things, then you're going to be able to evaluate properly whether or not you have had good coffee. 
And what I would say to you is, for those of us who are like, man, I'm, I'm out on marriage, I'm, I'm, I don't think it's good, I would say, like, let's not evaluate based on the often, sadly, poor experiences and poor examples that we have seen, but let's base our evaluation first and foremost on what is God's design for it. Now, man, we're, we're in an imperfect world. We are, this, this was written uh, before sin, sin entered the world, so marriage is gonna be messy. There is going to be challenges. There is going to be suffering. Part of marriage is bringing about sanctification due to having strengths and having weaknesses and clashing together and, and that growing you. And so I don't want to paint this like, like a picture that's like, oh, everything's going to be so awesome all the time. But I do want us to understand, let's compare it to actually how God originally designed it to be. Now, when people think about marriage, I think that there's two extremes that people think about. People sometimes think about marriage as a prison. And we hear these things, right? Like um, there's the famous like Walmart t-shirt where it's like a picture of like a man and a wife standing at the aisle and at the bottom it says like game over, right? Or it's like, you know, you hear people referring to their wife as like the old ball and chain. There's all of these like different ways that like our culture is like, oh, marriage stinks. And like, you know, like there's just all these things like, okay, when you get married, your life's over, game over, so sad. Like, honestly, and it is sad. Like, a lot of times I remember, and I'm sure that uh, people who are dating or especially people who are engaged, Caleb, you guys probably experience this sometime. You'll be talking to an older couple or an older guy, and you're like, man, I'm getting married next week. Any advice for me? And they're like, yeah, don't do it. Like, right? Did you hear that? Yeah, it's like, good luck. Sorry, you're like like you're going off to war or something. Like, um, that, that happens. So the idea is, okay, well, marriage is a prison. It's horrible. But then the other extreme that our culture views is that marriage is a paradise, that, that we view it as this thing where it's like, man, like, I'm going to get married, and, and it's going to be like my Instagrammable vacation all the time. Like, this marriage is going to make all my wildest dreams come true. This marriage is going to fulfill every desire of my heart, and I'm incomplete. I'm messed up. I'm broken. But when I get married, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to be whole. And many of us can buy into that lie. And here's the truth. The, the day you get married, you're going to wake up and you're going to be yourself and you're going to have your same brokennesses and your same strengths. And then you're going to get married and you're going to go on your honeymoon and you're going to wake up on your honeymoon and you're going to be yourself with your same brokenness and your same strengths and, and your same dreams and your same sins and your same everything. And you're going to be laying next to somebody and they're going to have exactly the same situation as well. Okay, so it's not a paradise where all your wildest dreams will come true. And really, so often we desire things from other people that only God can fulfill in us. But let me tell you what marriage is. It's not a prison. It's not a paradise. But marriage is a garden. Marriage is a garden. What you plant and how you tend matters. And by the way, this is a great life principle just in general. But marriage is a garden, and if you think about gardens, there's gardens where people are absolutely crushing it and where people are just, like, growing all sorts of awesome stuff, and you're like, I don't know how you do that. And then there's gardens where you drive by and you're like, they're really letting that one go. And it's the same with marriage. Like, like if you're planting anger, if you're planting bitterness, if you're planting dissent, if you're planting arguing, you're going to grow and you're going to reap that same thing. But if you're planting love, if you're planting kindness, if you're planting uh, speaking life into each other, if you're planting encouragement, 
then as that happens, you're going to see that grow as well. And if you think about it, in marriage, there's actually multiple different relationships that are affected. There's you, there's your spouse, there's your future children, there's the world around you. And each one of those is like a plant in the garden. And what you invest into that, that's what they're gonna become over time. And so marriage truly does matter because it has the potential and it has the power to transform you to become more godly, to transform your spouse to become more godly, to transform uh, future generations to become more godly. But it also has the potential to, to cause such great harm as well. And so it really is a thing that, that is a, a holy thing. And, and God designed it to be great, and it does, God designed it to be beautiful, and God designed it to be challenging. But because it takes work, but marriage is a garden. What you plant and how you tend truly does matter. Now, I wanna get back, because I promised you that I would. I wanna get back to this idea of Colossians 3, 18 through 19 because I think this is a very misunderstood verse when it comes to marriage, but I think it's very important. Paul writes this and he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, once again, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say something. In my experience, as I have talked with young adults, uh, and as, as I have conversed and even as I have listened uh, to people about these specific verses, like everybody's uncomfortable with them, okay? Like no guy, like most, like every guy that I've talked to is wise enough to know like I don't want to use the submit word at all, okay? I'm just not going to use that, okay? I don't believe that verse. Like every other verse is fine. I don't believe that one. And most women are like, what does that mean? Um, so, so I just want to explain something, okay? Uh, we're we're going to talk for a second. I'm going to do my best to, I believe, teach God's heart on these verses. And I want to start uh, with the verse, husbands, love your wives. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, um, Paul, uh, in the book of Ephesians, he elaborates on this concept. And he says, husbands, love your wives. And he actually gives two examples. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he says, love your wives as you love your own body. And so what he explains is that as you love your own body, that means like hopefully you're taking care of your own needs. Hopefully you're providing for yourself. Hopefully you, you care about yourself. And in the same way, you should view your wife. Man, I wanna take care of her. I wanna provide for her. I wanna do everything I can to help her flourish. But even more important, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now I wanna tell you a story. This week, uh, we had a couple come into our church uh, that had been married and they came in for marriage counseling. And the man stated, and he said, the reason we're coming in for marriage counseling is because I don't love my wife anymore. Now, that's very sad. And what he meant by that is he meant, I don't feel love for her anymore. But, but actually, probably, even though he may not have realized it, 
What, what actually the word love means is love is a verb. Love is an action. So probably the reason that he didn't feel love for his wife anymore was because he was not actively doing actions to love and to serve her. Because notice Paul does not say, husbands, um, feel love for your wife. He says, husbands, love your wife. Um, serve your wife. And how did Christ love the church? Christ did not love the church by being in heaven and being like, man, I love you guys. Like, I just feel such great vibes about you right now. Like, you just guys just make me like warm and fuzzy and it's so cool. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are beautiful. No, he, he actually uh, literally entered into uh, the world. He became like us. Um, he, he served in every possible capacity. He humbled himself so much so that, that none of us could even imagine the amount of humility that he did stepping off a throne in heaven and even coming to earth. But not only did he come to earth as a king, he came to earth as a servant with not even a place to live. He, he served every single person that he uh, interacted with. He had compassion with every single person he interacted with. And that would still be very impressive but he went even farther to the point of dying, laying down his very life for us. And, and so right off the bat, what he's saying to husbands is, he's saying your job and your responsibility in a marriage is to sacrifice and to lay down what you want, lay down what you desire, lay down your life for the sake of the flourishing of your wife, for the sake of the flourishing of your bride. Jesus' job is to bring about a pure, spotless bride, his church. That's what he wants. And our job as husbands, men, is to lay down our lives and to serve our wives in every possible way, to lead the way with service and to lead the way with love. That's the job. Now, he also says, wives, that you are called to Submit, and there is that scary word, submit. Now, I think it's important to also highlight that in Ephesians, Paul says that we are to submit to one another. And so there is, for every single Christian, a mutual submission that we should have to one another, a mutual desire to, 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 uh, to defer to the other, to say, man, I honor you, and I want to see you flourish, and, and I want what's best for you over what's best for me. But here's what I believe that submission is, that, that God has called, um, and remember, the, the, the goal of a marriage is to bring about flourishing in the earth. The goal of a marriage is for the husband and wife to partner together so that they can flourish, so their children can flourish, and so the community around them can flourish. And God has called the husband to be the spiritual leader of that venture. And the spiritual leader simply means you're called to set the pace for this. You're, you're called to move the ball forward and to lead the charge in this. Women, that doesn't mean that you just have to be passive and you have to just be a doormat. That certainly doesn't mean like, go get me a sandwich and get me a beer. That's not what submission means. But, but what, what submission means is saying, I am honoring and I am respecting that God has put you in this place of the spiritual leader of our home. Now, I think it's really important it says, wives submit to your husbands. It doesn't say women submit to men, okay? You guys understand that, right? That uh, no woman in here is like called to submit to like 
any man in here, okay? Unless, unless you guys are married, and then there, there's a different story. But it's not like, oh, man, well, there's just like all men get to rule over all women. No, this is specifically uh, for the marriage relationship. And I was talking to Katie about this, and I was kind of asking her perspective on it and what she said. And um, I, I, was, I was thankful for this. And she's like, look, in, in, a, in a good marriage, and she said, I believe we have a good marriage. Like, I don't ever think about, like, submitting. Um, like, it's not like I wake up and I'm like, oh, got to submit today, Okay. Um, in a good marriage, we should be loving and laying down our lives for each other. But we are called, I believe that women are called to honor and respect the, the position of, of, of that biblical leadership that God has called uh, the man to step into, to lead the home, to set the pace towards moving uh, the kingdom forward in your lives. And so this is a really important thing. Now, practically speaking, for ladies, I believe that many of you in here are unmarried. In fact, I know that many of you here in here are unmarried. And so here's what I would just say. When it comes to you evaluating your spouse, what I would say is this, that your, your husband will set the, the pace of where you guys go spiritually. I'm not saying that in a chauvinistic way. I'm, not, I'm just saying that is, that is the reality. If you choose someone who's passive to the things of God, then that is where your home will go. If you choose someone who is, is passionate about the things of God, that's somewhere, the place where your home will go. And, and listen, you can flourish in your relationship with God no matter what your husband is doing. Like, just in the same way is you can still be a good employee if you have a bad boss. And I'm not comparing the two, but I'm just saying that there can be, it's possible to, to flourish in your relationship with God no matter what circumstances you are in. But it's very important to evaluate when I choose someone that's going to be my mate, when I choose someone that's going to be my, my husband, do, do, I, do I get excited about honoring, respecting uh, the, the call that God has placed on his life? That's very important. Now, now to the men, I think it's very important to understand this, that I do believe that God has placed in our hearts and in our lives a, a desire to, to pursue, a, a desire to pursue a, a woman's heart, a desire when we have children to pursue our children's heart and to fight for them so that they can grow up to, to be uh, men and women of valor and men and women of character. I do believe that God has put in our hearts a desire even, even to pursue and to build the kingdom of God. And I think so often what our society has done, and listen, I'm, I, I'm not like, I'm not the most like macho dude. I'm not like, you know, out here like like, I have long hair, I have skinny jeans, I love the great indoors, okay? Like, I really do. <laughs> but, but I do genuinely believe that God has put in our hearts as men this desire, and I think so often that what you see is the enemy tries to distract us. And, and the enemy, um, I believe that the reason that, that porn is so rampant is because it gives us an easy way to pursue. It's way easier to pursue porn and, and to actually achieve something than it is to uh, pursue and learn how to pursue and to love and to serve the heart of a woman. It, it's much easier to pursue porn than to faithfully show up and pursue your children's heart every day. 
It's much easier to pursue hobbies. And there's plenty of hobbies to choose from. It's easier to, and there's, there's more of a dopamine rush at the beginning to pursuing certain hobbies than it is to pursuing the kingdom of God. And the scary thing that I think for a lot of guys is that we're choosing insignificant things. And I'm not saying hobbies are bad. I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever have a hobby. But, but what I believe God wants us to see in this is the high calling that he has put on our lives to pursue and to be strong men of God, pursuing the things that he has called us to pursue. And that takes a lot of work. It takes self-discipline. It takes the fruit of the spirit. And so there is a high calling for that. And I want us to see that. Okay. I have one more slide left. Practical steps. I know I just threw a lot at you. I know you were coming in here thinking, we're going to do Colossians 4. And I was like, psych, we're not going to do Colossians 4. Um, there, there's a few practical steps that I just want to leave you with. And this is as I was thinking about, okay, again, my assumption is most of us are, are dating or m- many of us are single. So what are some practical things that I can just leave you with about this talk? Because a lot of this has been like theological, big picture meaning of marriage. So practical steps. Number one, I want to encourage you, first and foremost, just follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be a Christian, okay? Because, number one, your goal is primarily not to get married. Your goal is primarily not to to, to find someone. Your goal is primarily to pursue and follow Jesus. And, listen, for those of you guys, maybe many of you would realize as you see the high calling of marriage, you would even say, "I I don't know if I'm really ready for that yet. The best way to get ready is to follow Jesus because as you follow Jesus, as you cultivate a relationship with God, as, you, as he transforms your character, as he transforms your passions and your calling, you are in fact going to uh, mature to the place where you are ready to be in that. Uh, number two is get healthy, get healthy. Um, th- there is a, a famous saying that says like, um, are, and, and I'm gonna really butcher this, I shouldn't do this off the top of my head because I'm not good at it, um, but uh, are you someone that the person you are looking for is looking for? Are you someone that the person you are looking for is looking for? So I do believe that as a single person, you do have the ability to uh, pursue um, health, physical health, emotional health, if there's things that you're carrying from your past spiritual health. Uh, number three, pray for a godly spouse. Um, I think this is maybe a little overlooked, um, I think a lot of times it can almost honestly be like, okay, well, like, I'm hoping or, like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, um, send out good vibes or I'm trying to, like, j- like, like put, put out feelers or whatever. Um, I really do think, like, we should believe in the power of prayer. And we should believe, like, I, I really am praying for this. I desire this in my life. Pray for a godly spouse. Uh, number four, and this is a real encouragement for, from me just, like, Again, as a pastor who has been serving young adults for a long time, um, be open to what God is doing. Um, There's a difference between being wise about the person you're choosing and being picky, right? And, And I would never tell you to lower your standards. I would never tell you to say, man, like if somebody is coming in and they're not a godly person. I would never tell you to, um, to, to, to lower that. But what I would say is what I observe from time to time is that we can have exactly our predetermined way that we think, think something's going to go. 
a timeline that we think something is going to go, appearance that we think someone is. And like, I'll just tell you this. Um, I was not necessarily um, Katie's type. Like, I, I was not necessarily like the person that Katie was always like, this is who I'm going to be with. Um, I had to wear her down over time, okay? That was just, that's just like my testimony. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend that. I'm serious. If a, if a girl has made it clear that she's not interested, then respect that, okay? Uh, I, my situation was different, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'll tell you the whole story sometime. But seriously, don't, I, like, if, if I hear that you're stalking somebody, guys, I, I will, I'll kick you out of the harbor. I've done it before, and I'll do it again, Okay? <laughs> I'm serious. Um, so but that, 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 that part's not a joke. <laughs> I have done it before, and I will do it again. Um, but, but honestly, be, be open to what God is doing, okay? So, like, I, I think that it's so easy, again, just to have preconceived notions. Like, it's going to look exactly like this. If it's not like this, th- then I don't want it. And it's possible that we can close the door on something that God may want to be doing because we're not open to it. And then number five, and I would highly encourage this, start slow, dating is evaluating. Sometimes as Christians, we can get into the mindset that, uh, man, if, if I go on a first date with someone, that means we're going to get married. And I just feel like that is uh, very unhealthy because it puts way too much pressure on an initial conversation. Now, I don't want you to date for like eight years and just like have no point in it. But, but there's a big difference between dating eight years and having no point in it and, and like, hey, like if, if someone sees us at Starbucks, like the next step is we're gonna get married, okay? And, and that just puts way too much pressure on it. If you're 100% not interested in somebody, then say that you're not interested in somebody. But if you think God may be doing something, like I really do genuinely think like it's okay to go out to coffee with somebody. And I would highly encourage you guys, if you do go out to coffee and you do feel like, man, something could be happening here, don't marry each other in your mind and like make wet wedding plans for like three weeks from now. Start slow. Get to know the person. I always tell couples, like, get, give it six months. Like, as like Calvary pastors, uh, we're, we won't marry somebody for, for one year because we want them to get to know each other, and we've seen what happens when people rush into it too much. Um, so that would be my encouragement to you. Okay. Um, guys, we talked about me and, what do you think, Stephen? It's your call. It's kind of late. Genesis says, roll it, roll it out. <laughs> okay, how about this? How about this? I'm going to close in prayer. And for 10 minutes, I, I did, I was planning on, I always plan on going way shorter than I go. That's, that's like the, that's the backstory. Uh, we were plan, planning on me and Amanda and Steven just doing like a 10 to 15 minute like discussion, like you guys evaluate, you guys put in your input um, and your wisdom uh, after this. So I'm going to close in prayer. If you have to leave, uh, Harbor's done, but we're having a 15-minute Harbor After Dark podcast right now, okay? So that's, that's what's happening. Okay. God, thank you for this night. Um, thank you for the opportunity that I had uh, to, to share. And God, I do believe, like I said, that, that, um, that you're moving and that something special is happening. And so, God, I just pray that, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts. Um, 
God, we most importantly want to become like you and love you and pursue you. But, but God, I believe this topic is so important for us to think rightly about. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.